We have two readings. They're kind of long, but very important, you know? So we're going to read this Old Testament one first. It's from Old Testament, er, from Old Testament, it is. It's from Genesis 14. It says, after Abram's return from the defeat of Cherlamor, Chedorlamor, I don't know, these names, right? Uh, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh. That is the king's valley. And the king Melchizedek of Salem brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High and blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, maker of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him one-tenth of everything. This is the word of the Lord. Hopping a long way into Hebrews chapter 7, this whole chapter was just really important, so we're just going to read all 28 verses of it. Um, this, Melchizedek, son of king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham as he was returning from defeating the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham appointed one-tenth of everything. His name, in the first place, means king of righteousness. Next, he's also king of Salem, that is, king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor the end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. See how great he is? Even Abraham, the patriarch, gave him a tenth of his spoils. And those descendants of Levi who receive the priestly office have a commandment in the law to collect tithes from the people, that is, from their kindred, though these are also descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not belong to their ancestry, collected tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had received the promises. This is beyond dispute, that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by those who are mortal, in the other by one of whom who has testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now, if perfection had been attainable through Levitical priesthood, for the people received the law under this priesthood, what further need would there be to speak of another priest arising according to the order of Melchizedek, rather than the one according to the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is, a nece is necessarily a change in the law as well. Now, the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and the connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. It is even more obvious when another priest arises, resembling Melchizedek, one who has become a priest, not through a legal requirement concerning physical descent, but through the power of an indestructible life. For it is attested of him. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. There is, on the one hand, the abrogation of an earlier commandment, because it was weak and ineffectual, for the law made nothing perfect. There is, on the other hand, the introduction of a better hope through which we approach God. This was confirmed with an oath, for others have become priests without an oath. 
But this one became a priest with an oath because of the one who said it to him. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Accordingly, Jesus has also become the guarantor of a better covenant. Furthermore, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds this priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able for all time to save those who approach God through him, since he always lives to make an intercession for them. For it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, blameless, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest, he has no need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. This he did once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests humans who are subject to weakness, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints the Son who has been made perfect forever. This is the word of the Lord. Well, that was a lot, <laughs> but it's okay because we're going to talk about it. Uh, but first, I'm going to tell you about that one thing that I really wanted <laughs> for a really long time and still never got. Um, so for most of my childhood and in, on into like middle school probably, I wanted one thing in particular for Christmas. And please don't give me grief because we have just passed Halloween and I'm already talking about Christmas because if putting up Christmas decorations too much early brings you joy, I'm not stealing that from you. You, you go ahead and do it. Um, I wanted a gift that would help me work on my coordination a gift that would help me with my balance, that would give me some physical training and mental adeptness to prepare myself for my career in the stars. And uh, this gift was going to help me uh, live up to my astrobiologist dreams. I really wanted moon shoes. So bad. <laughs> if you have never seen moon shoes before, I'm really sorry. You should, and you should get out from under the lunar rock you've been hiding under. They are these like chunky, purple, bungee-ridden, glorious shoes. Like, they're incredible. And the, the product is, its motto is trampolines for your feet, mini trampolines for your feet. And it came out in like Nickelodeon put it out. So I had to have got past the time where my parents thought Nickelodeon was horrendous. So I was watching Nickelodeon. And it, they came out in like 1992, which I was not cognizant for 1992. I was not born. However, they got remarketed into early 2000s, which I was cognizant for. And their marketing ploys worked <laughs> really well. They, marketing still works on me. Caleb tells me that all the time. Uh, but I just wanted these shoes that would bring, let me bounce like I was on the moon in gravity defining, er, defying glory. So originally these shoes were developed in 1950 and they were these like metal coils you just strapped to the bottom of your shoe and like jumped around, but they were like really dangerous, like broken legs and tetanus kind of stuff. So they Nickelodeon was like we're gonna keep kids safe and make them plastic and purple and neon green and sell them to your kids and it worked and they became a cultural phenomenon I hope I'm not the only one who remembers mood shoes because that's not a cultural phenomenon if I'm the only one in the room that remembers this yes amazing right 
Yeah, they like, they're just massive and you just like, <laughs> it's so cool. Anyway, so these uh, shoes were one, one size fits all and they were Velcro and they had bungees that you had to assemble yourself. So it came in like these pieces and you had to like put it together. I did a lot of research, moral of the stories, I never got them, but <laughs> I knew how it all worked. Uh, so you had to reassemble it yourself and I could only imagine that if it took like a fraction of the amount of time that it takes to put together like a piece of Ikea furniture, it would totally be worth it. And it would be cheaper than going to college and like astronaut training. I could just get the shoes. It would be fine. So they even marketed it to like kids with sensory processing disorder and ADHD. They're like, get them outside, jump in, it'll be fine. This will solve all your problems, which was definitely a lie but it was good marketing. So they were like, instead of sitting them on TV, let them go jump to the moon. And I was like, mom, I've got to jump to the moon. And I wanted them so bad, so bad. So I wrote it on my Christmas list for like 10 years. Seriously, like a decade of my life. And at the latter half of that, it was like a joke kind of. I put it on my list last year for my mom as a joke because it's kind of like a running gag now that my parents uh, dashed my dreams. And they <laughs> probably didn't buy it for me because they were like $50, which is a lot at the time for a toy that a kid's gonna like jump on two times and then be like, this is garbage. So I get it. And the weight limit was like 130 pounds. So. <laughs> At some point, I was no longer eligible for moon shoes because I grew bigger than that. And the small fact that there's like close to 100,000 leg and ankle injuries per year due to moon shoes. So <laughs> maybe my mom was like, cost benefit analysis, we're not doing this thing right now. Uh, but most of these injuries are like skin knees, a couple skin chins, you know? Uh, but the original shoe was banned, but not recalled. <laughs> so you can still buy it on eBay. Uh, because of complaints of like ankle fractures and like tibia and fibula snaps in half, like broken ACLs, like it was really, really bad. But I look forward to them every single year. I still wrote it down every year and I saw that one kid in the, in the advertisement who was like, you know, he looked like he was flying. He looked like he was like a hundred feet off the ground, which in reality he was probably that far off the ground. So I looked forward to it. I hoped and hoped and wished every single year. I thought they were perfect. Santa did not come through, and they have still yet to come to my stocking for Christmas, <sighs> which is a really unfortunate story. And I'm sure that you guys have anticipated things before. We just talked about them, of wanting something for such a long time and then not ever getting it, you know? kind of like what I'm doing right now. Just like donuts, making you want them for a really long time, but you can't have them. For, I'm going to cut those later, but they're kind of hard to cut. So. Uh, so what's the thing that you are waiting for today? A lot of us have things we're, we're waiting for, or the thing that we've waited for for a really long time, or essentially, what's your moon shoes? What, what, what thing do you have that's your moon shoes. Um, Advent is right around the corner, which is crazy town that it's already November. But the end of this month, we're, we're starting the season of Advent. 
Uh, and this season is the season about anticipating, about waiting and hoping and hoping and waiting and waiting for a really long time for Christ incarnate. And so it might seem a little too early to talk about Advent, but if the people of God waited 2,000 years for Messiah to come, we can start three weeks early. <laughs> it's fine. So this passage that we just read, there's this guy that you probably have not heard of or if you have, you kind of like really quickly breeze over his name because it's really hard to pronounce. Uh, Melchizedek, and I mispronounce his name all the time, and I wrote this thing. So if I say Melchizedek, Melchizedek, Mel, pretty much any version of that name, I'm talking about the same guy. So any name that starts with M in this, besides my own, is the same guy. So he's mentioned only in three places in all of scripture. One of them is Genesis 14. The other one is Psalm 110 and then Hebrews 14. That's the only spot this guy gets in all of scripture. So Hebrews 7, the, one, the really long one we just read, kind of encompasses all, all of these scriptures. So we're just kind of going to hang out there and reference the others. So in the first 10 verses of Hebrews 7, we get the recount of the Genesis version of the story. It's almost the same. And Abraham, then he was Abram, had just won this really risky battle in this region. And these four Western kings, which were led by Sodom, the king of Sodom, was battling against the five Eastern kings in the Valley of Shittim. Uh, so this whole thing is happening. There's a couple battles, like three of them, and Abram is involved. And eventually, Abram meets the king of Sodom, and he's like a real jerk and like takes his stuff and is really mean. And then he meets the king of Salem, and it's like stark difference, really different uh, reaction to these kings. So it tells us maybe we should pay attention to this thing. This is a literary tool that the people who wrote this book said, People will get this if we write it this way, but it's really hard for us to understand that. So one of the, thing, the kings Abraham meets is this guy named Melchizedek, and he was a king and a priest of God Most High. So he offers Abraham some bread and some wine, and then Abraham's like, wow, you're really great. I really appreciate you. Here's a tenth of my stuff. And these things should be very familiar. They should sound familiar. If it sounds like tithing and it sounds like communion, yeah, you're spot on. This is the, the purpose. It's supposed to remind us of these things. And it's not something that we should just jump over very quickly. This is an in intentional way that we can see the connection between the first priestly king and Jesus, the best priestly king. So Melchizedek was the king of Salem, or shalom. We know or might know shalom to mean peace. So he's the king of peace, and Salem is the earliest name for Jerusalem or Mount Zion. So Melchizedek is the king of the original site of Jerusalem, where Jerusalem would eventually rise to be. So all of these things are telling us that this guy is really, really important, even though he only gets three little chunks of scripture. So in verse 3, we're reminded that Melchizedek doesn't have any genealogy, and that's also weird. Pretty much everything about this guy is really, really weird. So we should be familiar with genealogies in the Old Testament, the stuff that, like, you fall asleep to. 
the stuff that you're like, and so-and-so begot so-and-so, begot so-and-so, begot so-and-so, and it like goes on and on. It's really frustrating and annoying. Melchizedek doesn't have any of that stuff. He's got like no mom, no, well, most moms weren't mentioned anyway, but no dad, no nothing, no people. He's just there somehow. And this is really important because we're also not told when he died or when he was born. And that's also a pretty popular thing in the Old Testament. Like, so-and-so had so many years and then he died. Or he was this many years old when he died. And then, you know, there's a people of like a hundred bajillion years of ages in there, of their family. But Melchizedek doesn't have any of them. And so he's a little bit of an enigma for us. Paul is telling us this stuff. He's rehashing this that we know because we read the Genesis version, but he is telling us directly that this means he always is and will be a priest. So he had no beginning and no end. He had no parents and no kids. So he just is. He just is this thing. I think of it kind of like that bag of peeps after Easter or maybe like the other holidays that peeps are now a part of and like they don't really have an expiration date you know and if they do it's a suggestion it's like I don't know they look fine to me and like two years later you're like <laughs> yeah and you, you eat them and uh, maybe like a more accurate description is like when you're a kid and you have like an older teacher or a grandparent you're like they've lived on this planet my whole life They've been here since the dawn of the dinosaurs, <laughs> and they always will be. Like, you don't, you don't have a framework yet to understand that they have not always been, and they will always be with you from that point. We, we can't understand their existence, and that's kind of what Melchizedek is about. We can't understand his existence. In the following verses, Paul says, just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of his plunder. Even the patriarch of Christianity, of Judaism, gave tithe to this king priest. The guy who God was like, I'm going to bless beyond belief, was the guy who's like, here, please take my things. And after this encounter, all of Israel starts doing this tithe thing to the priests. So all of the people of Israel give a tenth to the Levitical priests or to the priests of Levi. Melchizedek is greater than this because he wasn't born out of the tribe of, his, of Levi, like we just talked about. We don't know who his family is. We can't say that he was a, par, a priest from this family, and so he must be better than that. And Paul says that Levi was still in the loins of Abraham when Abraham was offering this up to, to Melchizedek. So the guy who was the father of a nation, the one who was blessed and brought these people into what we know to be all of the people of God today, was blessing some other priest. He's always talked about being wonderful and perfect, Abraham that is. So this gives us a kind of another clue as to how important Melchizedek actually is. This king is introduced to us to explain that Abraham encountered Yahweh through a royal priesthood in Jerusalem before we even knew what it meant to be a priestly king. 
So David writes a psalm about this. Psalm 110 is a psalm of anticipation of a future king, and he may be writing this about Solomon, who has not yet ascended the throne and is going to be like a really notable and great king, but he also could be writing this about a future messianic figure who descends from his own line. So the psalm declares a future king which is given great honor and power and authority more than any other king before him. That king will sit at Yahweh's right hand. And this messianic king isn't just a king, but a priest in the order of Melchizedek. That's the little section, the like three words Melchizedek gets in this psalm, is this future messianic king will be a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Davidic kings almost always took on a priestly function, like they were a king and a ruler, but they also participated in worship or in liturgy. So it's, that's not uncommon. But this verse directly connects our Davidic kings with this line of king priests who once ruled Jerusalem. So it gives them some sort of credibility. So anybody after David who ascends to the throne can claim divine support for their rule over the promised land because of Melchizedek. So Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And so now all of these kings are like, he blessed us and he was better than anything else we knew. So we must be doing the right thing. And Paul talks about this Levitical priesthood. He talks about it a lot. He says that the Levitical priesthood came to be because the law was given to the people and they established a priesthood. So God said, this is the law that I give to you, how I want you to act, how I want you to interact in the world. And they established a priesthood. And Melchizedek is outside of that. Melchizedek wasn't a part of Levi's family. So again, it is clear that the Lord descended from Judah, but it's even more clear that if another priest like Melchizedek approaches, then we know that this is a priest who's not a priest because of his family or because of where they were born, but because of the everlasting power they have. The, the, the theme of Melchizedek not having death or a birth date tells us he's everlasting, forever and ever. So if there's a king who comes around is everlasting, then we should know that the Messiah must be really, really close. So David writes, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. When someone shows up that's different than the tribe of Levi, we should pay attention. Because the law makes nothing perfect. And I appreciate Paul for saying this, because people who became priests are not perfect because of their occupation. He's essentially telling us that pastors are not perfect. Pastors should not be lifted up on this pedestal as the perfect in our communities. Pastors are not better than anyone else because they've gone to school or because they know the Bible well or they can say all these cool things. That is not the point of a priesthood. But rather, Paul is telling us that the one who's draw, who draws near to God and is a priest forever is Lord, and they are declared perfect. So Jesus has come and lives forever and is permanent. Jesus holds the office of permanent priest because he's able to live forever, to constantly intercede for us, 
And Jesus is not like any other priest who has to sacrifice for their own sins before forgiving the sins of others. These are all the differences between Levitical priests and Jesus. And this is also a difference between Melchizedek and Levitical priests. So why is Melchizedek so important? This obscure guy gives us a foundation of how Jesus occupies the role of king and priest. There are really almost no other examples in Israelite kings of people who have done this well. Most of Israel's kings are like the worst. They're, they're jerks. And they fail in one way or another. Either they fail leading their people as a king or they fail leading their people as a priest. One of the, one of the two, if not both. So it's true that Jesus is the, the true king of righteousness who lived a perfect life that no one else could. And it is also true that Jesus is the perfect king of peace, or Salem, who came to earth to bring peace through his sacrifice and resurrection. And Jesus is eternal and a priest forever. His priesthood is superior to the Levitical priest because of this reason. And Melchizedek gives us a way to understand how important Jesus is. If Melchizedek was the best king-priest that the people of Israel knew, how much greater would Jesus be? So Israel only knew Melchizedek to be the, the only one that could hold the office of king and priest in tandem and do it well. So that was their framework of if we find another guy who is like that, then maybe the Messiah will be near. So therefore, believers can rest assured knowing that Jesus is a perfect king who rules in infinite power and justice. And Jesus is the perfect priest who ministers in infinite mercy and compassion and can sympathize with our weakness, things that no other Israelite priest could. So when we commit to Christ, we're reminded of our Mechizeldechian calling to live life of truth and justice as a member of God's royal family, and we're reminded to pour out our lives and pour out mercy for the healing of the world. And the people of God heard this psalm, heard the psalm of David, and heard the story in Genesis for thousands of years. There are around 2,000 years between the story of Abraham and Melchizedek and when Paul writes Hebrews, give or take. And that's a long time to wait for the true king to come. It's like if we heard, it's essentially like we hearing about Jesus and then having to wait again. And that's exactly where we are. We get to be on this side of the resurrection. We know that Jesus was born and died and was resurrected and ascends. And yet we're still left here waiting again waiting in anticipation. And Melchizedek is a model for us, for what was to come. And Jesus blew our ideas of Melchizedek out of the water. And we have a good representation of what has yet to come. So what are you waiting for? What are you anticipating? We're waiting on things all the time. Some of you might be waiting to hear back from a doctor or to have test results come in, or for your car to get out of the shop, or a letter from a new job, or the green light on a project you've started, or a sign to start something of your own. 
We're always waiting on something. Some of us may be waiting on lunch right now. Some of us might be running ragged, and that's kind of the phase of life I find myself in right now, is I'm running and I'm running and I'm waiting for a chance to catch my breath. Too often we live our lives waiting for the next break, waiting for the year vacation to come, waiting for the weekend. It's hard to wait, and it's especially hard to wait for something that's supposed to be amazing when bad things seem to keep happening. It's hard to wait for this this glorious representation of Jesus coming again when life seems to really suck right now. We have hope in Jesus restoring our tomorrow, but today is hard, and it doesn't feel like any restoration might be happening in our life. And I don't know if hope would be hope if it wasn't hard. I, don't, I doubt hope would even exist if it weren't for the painful reasons that we have to hope in the first place. But we're in this weird anticipation bubble as it is. And we know who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, but we are left here to wait. Three weeks before Advent, Advent we wait all season for Christmas, and then we do it all over again until Christ comes again. And who knows how long that will be, maybe another 2,000 years, maybe not. We have the benefit of being on this side of the resurrection, which might make it easier for us than it did for the people of God. And maybe that's why Melchizedek is one of these obscure figures for us. It's not truly necessary for us anymore. We don't need to look at the closest thing to Jesus because we can look at Jesus himself. While we are yet far off, Christmas and Advent are a season of time where we can remember our biblical brothers and sisters, which might have felt as if they waited for something, like Melchizedek, not knowing when the Messiah would actually come. And we quickly approach a season for us to remember that the best both has come and as yet to come. One of the things that I thought today, what's a good representation of, of the best has come? I was like, five daughters, donuts. That's a good idea. So I brought some donuts that we've been looking at all morning, waiting and waiting. And now we can cut them up and we can eat them before the children come in because they're scavengers. (laughs) So I'm going to bring these over and then we'll eat them together. But first, let's pray really fast. God, thank you for this group of friends. Thank you for neighbors and I pray that you would be with us as we wait for things, whatever it may be. Maybe it's some simple things like lunch, but maybe it's deeper than that, like restoration from family trauma or broken relationship or grief or anything that comes to mind. And I pray that you would be with us in this anticipation that is both exciting and scary at the same time. Help us to prepare ourselves and our hearts as we near closer to Advent where we get to wait some more. And thank you for your representation in Jesus. Uh, God incarnate walking around on the planet for us so that we can look forward to your restoration on the planet. It's in your name we pray. Amen.